0: My name is Rob O'Hare, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Episode 3, Arcades. Hello, and welcome to episode number 3 of You Don't Know Flack. This is episode 103, titled Arcades. And uh, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in once again. I know episode two was all about Dungeons & Dragons, which was kind of strayed uh, from what the original idea of the podcast was, so thanks for bearing with me, and thanks for coming back for episode three. This episode is being recorded on April 4th, which is three days after its scheduled release date, but um, the other one had a lot of clipping, I had some microphone problems, and I've uh, since smashed the old microphone. So we have an all-new microphone and a whole new setup here. So here we are. We're ready for episode 103. We're ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? That makes us ready. We're ready. Uh, And so episode 103 is all about arcades. Uh, I'm going to be talking about some of the old arcades that I used to hang out uh, in as a kid and a a young teenager. And uh, the last probably third of the show is going to be some funny stories that took place uh, in arcades. And I'm going to have to kind of move quickly through things to keep my scheduled 30-minute time limit per show, so I'm going to go ahead and get started today with episode 103. The first arcade game I have a specific memory of playing is Donkey Kong. There was a pizza place uh, just outside, uh, not too far from our house, called Shotgun Sam's, and uh, this pizza place had a jukebox in the back, so every time my family would go eat dinner there, my mom would give me some quarters and my sister, and we would go back and you know play some songs in the jukebox or whatever, and so I remember uh, this was probably late 1981, possibly early 1982, but, but right in, th- in that time frame. We'd gone to eat at Shotgun Sam's and my mom had given us some quarters to go back and play some songs in the jukebox like she always did. And when we went back there, I remember seeing two arcade games. There was one surrounding the jukebox. One was Donkey Kong and the other one was Make Tracks. And the reason I remember that is because... um, both games were in red cabinets. Um, now, if you don't know, Donkey Kong was originally created by Nintendo to fill Radar Scope cabinets, which was a uh, previous Nintendo game that sold uh, not so well in America. And they were the the same shape as all the Nintendo cabinets, but they had red on them. And so the first 2,000... Donkey Kong cabinets were red instead of the blue that most people are familiar with. So, and Make Tracks is also a red cabinet. So I remember seeing these two red cabinets surrounding this jukebox. And um, So instead of putting my money into the jukebox, I put my quarter into Donkey Kong. And I remember playing it and just absolutely falling in love with it. Um, and maybe not necessarily the game itself wasn't what I fell in love with as much as the idea you know, of um, in in, in 18, 1981, we're going from, you know, the early, early days of computers. Maybe, I, I don't even think we we didn't have our Apple yet, you know, so we're still... Uh, and maybe we had the Apple right around then, but, you know, it, basically we're comparing arcade games to text adventures. Games uh, with, you know, ASCII graphics or very, very basic block graphics, and now all of a sudden... You know, in Donkey Kong, you have this. Um, Even the early Atari games, uh, Combat, Air-Sea Battle, um, you know, those type of things are really blocky type graphics, you know. So to see Donkey Kong and a guy that was made up of multiple colors and this, you know, this little sprite that actually looked like a guy... Uh, it was awesome, you know And um so like I said, I got hooked And lots of kids across America got hooked around that same time Of course, in 81, 82, you're talking about Pretty much the golden age of classic games And, you're, you know, you got your, your Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Centipede That, you know, Defender, that that era right there So these games that, you know, are all considered classics now Were coming out then And so when each game came out It, it just won over more people Everybody, you know, that just it it became more you know a hobby or or a pastime that people wanted to do and and so not only were all these kids getting hooked on this but also uh, businesses started getting hooked on arcade games because even if you weren't, at, you know, I mean, there were, at this time, there were no big arcades around here yet, but even if you were, a, you know, uh, any kind of business, you could put an arcade game in your business and kids would come there and spend money. So it was like if you made this investment on an arcade machine, it would, it would uh, pay itself off and then some, you know. So businesses really saw arcade games as this thing they could invest in, you know. So when I think about old arcade arcades that I used to go to, places that I used to play arcade games in, uh, there are really, I, I've kind of divided them up into three categories, and I call them one-offs, co-located arcades, and then standalone arcades. And I'm going to give you some examples of each one of these, but I want you to keep this in mind. I grew up in a town called Yukon, Oklahoma, which is a small suburb of Oklahoma City. It's just west of Oklahoma City. And the town of Yukon is about 15 square miles. Um, actually, Wikipedia, I looked it up. Wikipedia says that it's about 25 square miles, but that includes um, you know a lot of outlying land that's not you know where there's you know farmland or whatever. So you know you have this city that's three miles by five miles. First of all, you have these what I call one-off arcades, which are uh, they're not arcades. There are places like, um, laundry mats, restaurants, convenience stores, grocery stores, any place like that where you wouldn't generally think of being an arcade, but these were places that were would put in one or two machines, you know, just to make a little bit of money. Like Snyder's, which was a local grocery store, Snyder's had Zookeeper and Moon Patrol, and it was set up right by the exit. So, you know, when you would come in, uh, the parents could just drop your kids off by the front of the store, and, and we would hang out up there and play arcade games. The laundry mat that's right by there used to have. Um, actually, they still have a Miss Pac-Man and a pinball machine up front. Um, the convenience store by my house, um, restaurants, you know, would have one or two type games. They wouldn't have like what you think of now, like. Um, like when I think of Pizza Hut or places like that that have a little alcove with a little game room. It wasn't like that. It would just be like one or two games when you walked in standing there, you know. But any any place like that that could could afford to buy a game would put one in just to, you know, draw customers and draw a little bit of extra money. And so that's one-offs. That's That's what I call one-offs. And then the second type of arcade I call co-located arcades. And two examples of this in Yukon are the bowling alley and the skating rink. So these are places that may have, you know, 10 games, something in that kind of range. Uh, the bowling alley had pool tables and, and arcade games there and stuff. So by being co-located, you know, like my friend Jeff and I, we did actually go to these places just to play the games. But, you know, it it would be, you know, they're kind of piggybacking on, like at the skating rink, most kids would go to the skating rink to skate, and then they would also play video games. So so there were the co-located, that kind of came next uh, in my memory. And then on the tails of that, you have the actual full-size standalone arcades. Now again remember that I said Yukon is three miles by five miles and by 1985 maybe 86 in the mid 80s right there there are three standalone arcades in Yukon. Uh, The first one that I remember was called Starbucks which actually has nothing to do with the coffee company it it was actually named after uh, Starbucks from Battlestar Galactica. So you had Starbucks and then there were two other arcades, and I've I've asked friends of mine, and nobody can come up with the name of what these places were. There was one uh, on Vandament, which was just a couple of blocks down from the mid-high, and then there was a third one that came in over kind of by the bowling alley, which was, like I said, kind of weird because the bowling alley had their own arcade inside. And one thing that's interesting about people who hung out in arcades and old arcade-type guys is that Anytime I see a machine, I can tell you where I first saw it. Um, and It's like I have these memories associated with every machine. Like when I see a crossbow machine, the first thing I think of is that I used to play crossbow at the skating rink. And it's kind of funny because uh, crossbow, you probably know, is a, a shooting type game where there's a crossbow mounted on, a, on the front of the machine and you have to shoot uh, shoot away dangers that are attacking your little party of people. Um, but the thing is, is as a, you know, a sixth grader or seventh grader, I was really too short to play crossbow because you have to see up, you know, over the gun and everything. But at the skating rink, I was tall enough because I was wearing roller skates. So, you know, I, that's, that's where I could play crossbow. It's, it's the first place I saw it. And I I still have this memory of trying to lean forward to, you know, look over the gun and shoot. And the harder I would lean forward, the more my feet would roll backwards because, (laughs) because I was on roller skates. So... You know, the, the games that I still have fond memories of, like track and field. When I see a track and field, I think of a convenience store that was right outside my neighborhood. And my friends and I would ride our bikes up there during the summer and go to track and field and, and you know, take our, our pencils or our combs or whatever we would use, you know, to hit the buttons faster. You know, I just the other day I saw for sale at Commando uh, Arcade Machine. And, and when I saw it in seventh grade, I went on a field trip to Washington, D.C., And as part of the field trip, they took our group to um, a mall and uh, they gave us like five bucks to spend at the mall, like in the little food court where we could go get something to eat and a drink or whatever. And um, I took it and I went and got quarters and I went to the little arcade that they had there and I saw Commando. That was the first place I ever saw Commando. And I, you know, spent five bucks on it there while everybody else ate. So those are the kind of things that's, it's funny. Um, like when I said that there were three standalone arcades in Yukon and there's the one on Vandament, nobody calls it the one on Vandament. Everybody calls it the one that had 720. <laughs> it was the only arcade in Yukon that had 720. And so and when it came out, uh, actually they had side-by-side 720 and Paperboy. So not, not only when I see those games... I think of that that place, but also, you know, that's how that place is remembered. It's Nobody remembers its name, but everybody remembers that it was the place with was 720. Um, likewise, the one that was over by the bowling alley, um, it was actually, this is kind of a neat story. Uh, my buddy Jeff, uh, he was one of my best friends in high school, he's still a good friend of mine today. Um, Jeff's parents' friends opened up an arcade, and this was the, the third arcade that I mentioned that's over by the bowling alley, and... The weekend before they opened, uh, his parents contacted, uh, or you know, the people that were opening that contacted Jeff through his parents, and Jeff contacted me. And uh, the the people, the owners, wanted to hire Jeff and I to come test the arcade. And so the deal was, we would have to. Uh, this was what we were being forced to do. We were forced to play every game in the arcade and then give our feedback. So we had to tell them. Uh, you know, uh, what joysticks weren't working or, you know, if any buttons were sticky and what we thought of different games. You know, they had some some newer games, some older games we had to give our input or whatever. So we, we spent a Saturday doing that. It was really fun. One of the funny things was they had Golden Axe and Double Dragon which are two of probably three or four games I've ever beaten in my life. But just as a coincidence, they had both of those games. So the idea was that we were supposed to go around, you know, put a quarter in each machine, uh, you know, and play it and tell them what we thought and then move on. And and when we got to Double Dragon, that's probably Double Dragon and Golden Axe are, I think, the only two games I've ever beaten on one quarter. Uh, So, you know, here I am. Going on for half an hour, and they're just kind of standing around, you know, trying to trying to nudge me. Okay, we get it, you know, game works. Let's move on, kid. So anyway, uh, but the point of that is, you know, when you see machines, uh, mentally they're they're related, you know, to these to these locations. So you have all these arcades here in Yukon in this small little area, and they're trying to compete not only amongst each other, but they're also trying to compete uh, with the arcades that are springing up in Oklahoma City. Uh, you have Cactus Jacks, which is just uh, two or three miles outside of Yukon, right, right in the west side of Oklahoma City. Uh, and then another big one was Le Mans, which was in Crossroads Mall. Actually, there were four or five malls in Oklahoma City, and all of them had arcades. Uh, the, the Heritage Park Mall had Starcade, which actually closed down uh, just about two years ago. They had a big auction. I bought a couple games from it. Um, there was Le Mans, there was uh, Malibu Grand Prix, which was uh, right by Crossroads, and it was one of those. Uh, if you if you never saw Malibu, it was one of those places. I think they still have them in some places that are go karts combined with it with a big arcade. Of course, Oklahoma City, uh, you know these arcades are going to be even bigger and draw even more kids. So. You know, all of a sudden, I mean, go back to 1981, the first memory I have of playing an arcade game. Now, four years later, you know, there are dozens of arcades to choose from, so it really sprung up. Um, To me, it seems like it was almost overnight or, you know, within a really short period of time. One thing people ask me about is, you know, what were these arcades like? Like, it's funny, you know, when you see uh, TV shows or something and they have an arcade and, and, you know, you wonder, was it really like that or something, and... The only thing I could say, I mean, there are stereotypes uh, and things that all these arcades had in common. But arcades were really, each one was so different. And not just because the games they had inside or the decorations, but just the the whole feel of it. And so uh, I'm going to compare two different arcades, um, Le Mans versus Cactus Jacks. And this is talking, you know, around that heyday, the the mid-80s. First of all, in Le Mans... Le Mans was in Crossroads Mall and, and still there. Actually, both these arcades are still open. They've they've changed dramatically over the years. but um, And now it's Bally. Um, Bally Le Mans was kind of like the showcase arcade. It was in the biggest mall. And when you walked in, there were always brand new games right up front. And, you know, big lights like Now Playing, a big sign that says Now Playing. And there were flashing lights around it. Uh, they had almost like casino style carpet, like really uh, dark red carpet with patterns in it. And then the walkways were lined with um, like a movie theater, you know, lit up with little moving light bulbs and stuff like that. And then uh, it, it's actually three levels. The arcade is three levels. Um, there's a lower level to the left, which had ski ball machines and maybe some kiddie type uh, games, but but no ticket stuff back then. Uh, you know, it's all all games. And then the middle area was divided. You know, in the front was all the new stuff, and then you know, kind of regular stuff in the middle. And then there was a third area off to the right, which was you know all the regular. Like after things weren't after things weren't hot anymore or new, then they would move them up to that area. And there was a couple of air hockey tables up in that area, and then right in the middle, just behind where the new games were, was a big video jukebox. I, it's the first one I can actually remember seeing, where you could you put money in, but it would play music videos. And there were you know a couple of big screens, um, and it would play videos of stuff like uh, Madonna and Michael Jackson and Cyndi Lauper, you know, the, whoever's popular on the radio, that sort of thing, you know. Lamonts is the first place I ever remember seeing Dragons Lair, and they had the deluxe Dragons Lair with a second monitor on top because people would crowd around, you know, to to see this game, you know. It, so it was that type of arcade. Um, it was the first place I ever saw Time Traveler, the uh, the hologram uh, arcade game. I mean, so it's that type of arcade, you know. Brand new games, everything's nice. It's well lit, uh, popular, you know. Uh, that that was Lamont's. Now, uh, Cactus Jacks, which is about three miles from my house. First of all, I don't know that you could ever give any game your full attention at Cactus Jacks. Uh, because I was always afraid of being abducted. My, my main memory of Cactus Jacks was that it was dark. Um, it had huge windows in the front of the arcade that had been painted black on the inside. Uh, So no light came in. And there were no lights inside either. The only lights that I remember were from the actual arcade games themselves. The floor was concrete. And the ceiling, and it's still like this today, is this uh, funky conglomeration of pipes and machinery and ducting that looks like something out of uh, the Terminator maybe. Uh, You know, and then it's all been spray coated with some sort of spray on insulation that as kids, we always used to kid about it, you know, being asbestos. And um, now we just assume it's asbestos. We're just not kidding about it anymore. Um, And then uh, in the back of Cactus Jacks, there's like a, a small break area with a like a snack vending machine. And then there was a cigarette machine, a Coke machine and a cigarette machine. And, you know, someone has told me I'm, I'm wrong, but I swear I remember this. I swear that I remember that the cigarette machine took tokens, which makes it kind of weird. It's even creepier than, you know, having the just a cigarette machine back there for kids. But, um, you know, Cactus Jacks is still there. Of course, uh, like everything it's changed, it's much more a family-friendly this these days. I... You know, one thing I remember about Cactus Jacks and the bathroom, it actually still looks like this, Um, but um, instead of having normal urinals in the guy's bathroom, it has this giant trough that looks like a bathtub where you're just supposed to stand around, you know, with other guys and and pee in this thing, and then there's no uh, tile or anything on the back, but I remember there was always a, uh, you know, a, a marquee, like an arcade marquee that was there. So it was just a you know a bunch of guys peeing in a bathtub with a piss soap marquee <laughs> behind it, and um, <laughs> uh, it, the bathroom still looks exactly like that. I don't know if there's a marquee there anymore, but it's just a, a a big tub thing that you pee in. So, and like I said, both of those arcades are still open. They have changed greatly over the years. They're both much more well. Cactus Jacks is more family-oriented now. They have parties. You can schedule Cactus Jacks for a party or you can just go in and probably a third of Cactus Jacks' games have been removed and replaced with Ticket Redemption machines. Um, And that's something that has happened at every arcade, really. It's not just Cactus Jacks. Ticket Redemption, if you talk to arcade owners today, I've talked to several arcade owners, and I had one tell me that probably 90% of his income came from ticket redemption, and the other 10% came from the machines. So that's the necessary evil that keeps uh, arcades going today. Or The arcades that are left are, you know, they're either uh, co-located with something big. I mean, if you think of uh, Chuck E. Cheese or something like that, you know, their arcade games are not there to make the money. Obviously, you know, a $30 pizza and a pitcher of Coke is, is what's paying the bills, and the arcade games are just something fun you know for the kids to do and for the places that don't have big draws like that they're making their money off of ticker redemption so like i said uh, necessary evil is the the term that comes to mind that's that's what's paying the bills and what's keeping people coming in so but anyway when i when i think back about arcades that's kind of what i think you know and and it's funny uh, that i have this memory you know when people say well, like well you know what was it really like and you know, those, I always think about um, the movie Tron, there's that scene at the beginning of Tron where Flynn is about to, uh, sh- you know, get the high score and he's going to shoot down the recognizer and, you know, people are just crowding around and cheering him on and, you know, go Flynn, that sort of thing, and, and you know, it wasn't quite that dramatic, but it was similar, you know, I mean, when somebody was going to beat a high score, I can remember people crowding around and, and watching somebody play who was really good at a game and, and like I said earlier, I used to play Gauntlet at Crossroads Mall. And I can remember uh, my friends and I standing around and playing Gauntlet and having other people around us telling us, you know, oh, go that way or go get the food or, you know, oh, I know how to do this, that sort of thing. So it, it was more of an interactive type um, uh, environment, I think. Um, you know, like I said, that movie f- or the scene from Tron, and you know, there's the scene from... Uh, the last starfighter, which, you know, is a, it's a ridiculous scene, but you know, uh, the, the protagonist, Alex, he's playing the last starfighter and, you know, he's in this trailer park and, um, uh, you know, he's doing really good and he starts getting the high score and everybody's asleep in the trailer park. And then I think it's the maintenance guy comes out and shouts, Alex is going for the record, and people start coming out of their homes, and they're, they're crowding up to watch the guy play the arcade game. I don't remember waking anybody up, actually, to come to an arcade and watch me play, but, but it, you know, it's just that idea. It's it's uh, that same type of feeling of, you know, people that you don't know just gathering around, and, and that was your moment to shine, you know, if you were really good at an arcade game. I can remember um, the first time I... Uh, beat Golden Axe. That people were standing around, like, "Wow, you know, watching," and, and um, you know. So, like I said, it, it it maybe it's not as dramatic as I never had anyone come out of their trailer and watch me play a game. But um, uh, and you know, when it, like when I think about playing Golden Axe and beating Golden Axe, like I was just talking about, uh, it makes me think about the memories that are associated with games and. I I bought a Golden Axe machine. It doesn't work right now, but when I saw it, I knew that I wanted to own it, and not necessarily because I even like Golden Axe that much, but I I have that memory of beating Golden Axe and people standing around me, you know. And so when you when you buy arcade games, you're, it's kind of like you're locking in those memories. Like when you know, if I play Golden Axe on an emulator, it you know I'm just playing the game, but when I stand there in front of the the actual machine. You know, it, those memories do come back, and you think about those times and who you played those games with and stuff like that, and so um, that's probably one of the main reasons why people like me collect arcade games. Um, for those of you that don't know, I own currently right at 30 arcade games. I have a building in the my backyard that's full of arcade games, that I go out and, and play from time to time, and... The reasons not to collect arcade games are much much longer than the reasons to collect arcade games. In fact, um, I'm I'm finishing up work on Invading Spaces, my second book. Uh, it'll probably out be out. I'm shooting for sometime this summer. And you know, part of the first chapter, you know, people, it Invading Spaces is all about buying, selling, fixing up arcade games. It's about the the whole hobby in general. And I think you know, if people are picking up that book as an inspiration to collect arcade games, one of the things that I do in the first chapter is give you every reason why you should never get into the hobby of collecting arcade games. And I'm just going off the top of my head here, but some of the reasons I gave, number one is that, uh, obviously, they take up a lot of space. So, you know, an arcade game is somewhere between two and a half and three foot wide and deep. They're about six foot tall. So, you know, just, just one... Is making a commitment, you know, to this space, and then thirty, you know, by the time you have several, uh, you know, you're dedicating a room or a garage, something like that. When you have thirty, you're dedicating a building at that point. So, um, you know, space is a reason, there are, there are all kinds of logistics to uh, not only buying and selling, but moving these things is a pain in the ass. You you have to have a truck, a trailer, uh, a dolly, tie down straps, tarps. Um, friends that like arcade games, so they will help you move arcade games. Thank you to everyone who's ever helped me move an arcade game. Uh, so, you know, it, there's there's tons and tons of reasons. Another reason is when you buy games in the price range that I buy games, you had better learn how to work on them, or you had better be prepared to pay people to work on your games. Um, you know, we're talking about... Uh, you know machines now that are 20 30 years old and you know a lot of them weren't built to last that long so there are common repairs there are expensive repairs delicate you know all these different types of things and uh, that's one thing that I I want to get the word out early that invading spaces is not a technical repair manual um, in it, I'm gonna you know I have a chapter about troubleshooting and basic repairs that sort of stuff but I'm not going to get into a lot of the details, like you know, technically how to do you know specific uh, install cap kits. Let's say, I mean, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you know, what a problem is, how to diagnose it, and then you know, move on from there. But it's it's not a technical type book. It's more of a you know beginner's guide to the hobby in general, uh, and kind of an overview of everything. So, and then uh, you know, the biggest reason not to collect arcade games is that you can play them all for free on your computer with MAME. Uh, and I'm I'm guessing at this point everybody listening to this podcast knows what MAME is. MAME stands for uh, Multi-Arcade Machine Emulator, and it is a free program available for PCs, Macs, um, and it's been ported to lots and lots of different types of uh, handheld uh, machines and consoles and everything else that emulates uh, the hardware needed to play arcade games, and so you can download any game you want in ROM format, essentially any game that you want, and play them, For Free on your computer, so you have to weigh like you know, like I have a Golden axe machine that doesn't work that I paid money for that's taking up this huge amount of space that was heavy that I had to move here And so when you start looking at that versus I could be playing it for free on my computer You really have to kind of weigh uh, You know the ins and outs of collecting, But, but anyway Okay, I'm kind of jumping topics here for a minute, but one thing that always comes up when you talk about arcades and really this talks this is about anything that has to do with retro. I I had to deal with this uh topic when writing Commodore, and I don't know that I handled it great. But the 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 question like with Commodore, you know, you have you say the whole point of Commodore was I love the old days. I love playing on a Commodore. I love BBSs. I loved old modems. Why did it go away then? If it was such a great thing, then what happened to it? And I could talk about that for, you know, hours. But but you have the same question with arcades. You know, if arcades were such this great thing, they were so neat, they're so cool. Everybody that looks arcades, you know, I mean, all these people are interested in arcades. Well, what happened to them? Why did most of them close down? And there are you know lots of different theories. Everybody has their own theory and I you know it was a combination. All these theories are probably there's some truth in all of them. I, there's about four reasons that I kind of stick with uh, when I talk about why arcades closed down. And, and you know, and these are everything is opinion when you talk about this. But num- the number one reason why arcades closed down is because uh, home video game consoles got better. You know. In the early days, I mean, like I said, in 1981, when I'm playing Donkey Kong and you compare that to, you know, a TRS-80, what that can do, or, you know, an Atari 2600, it's, you know, it, well, look at Donkey Kong on the Atari versus Donkey Kong, you know, in the arcade, or look at Pac-Man on the Atari versus the arcade version, and there's no question, there's no comparison, you know, the arcade versions are so much better, but as consoles, uh, you, I mean, they, they get good in the 8-bit range, but when you're up to 16-bit, I mean, when you're looking at Super Nintendo uh, and Sega Genesis, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not indistinguishable from the arcade, but they're really good, I mean, if you look at... Um, Some of, like, uh, Mortal Kombat, you know, they're pretty close. They're not exact, but they're close enough, uh, especially for kids, you know. They're pretty close. So once the consoles continue to get better, you know, they're, they're really giving arcades a run for their money. Now, another, a second reason why arcades closed is because you have this evolution of game types. Now, on the PC... Uh, in the early 80s, and even before that, uh, but especially in the early 80s, PCs could not directly compete with arcades. And, and, you know, they weren't designed to. But what PCs could offer was longer-type games. And so out of this, you get RPGs, role-playing games. Uh, Because arcades could not provide that, and they weren't designed to provide that. Arcades were designed to... Uh, take your money they were designed to give you a lot of action and kill you in about two minutes and so you know on a on home computers and role-playing games you know you all of a sudden you have these games that took you know days or weeks or months to complete and that was you know a gaming experience that you could not get in the arcades and so as that type of game grew more and more popular and people wanted longer games and wanted to invest more time in games that's something that drew gamers out of arcades um, and, and into home gaming now a third reason that I uh, talk about uh, in the book and and here about why arcades closed down is this cultural change that we go through um, starting in the 80s and going through to the 90s and and even today um, everybody you know who's my age in the 30s you know I'm in my I'm 34. But everybody who's in their 30s will tell you, you know, when I was growing up, things were different. I'm sure your parents will tell you the same thing. But um, hopefully your parents aren't in your 30s. <laughs> That's going to make me feel really old. So, you know, as a, as a kid, like, you know, there's a million things I could say. You know, I was allowed to ride my bike in a town, and now I would never let my son do that. Or, you know, my parents, uh, you know, classic story, um, uh, my mom used to go shopping at the – a local fabric store and my she would take my sister and me and she would you know we would beg her to let us stay in the car and you know so she would let us stay in the car by ourselves and I I mean I'm I'm sure I wasn't more than 10 years old you know my sister's three years younger than that and so I mean I'm sure we were much younger than that and I remember you know her giving us advice that we should roll down the windows if if we got so hot that we thought we were going to pass out but then if strangers came by we should roll up the window. So basically my sister and I would each you know man a window and then we were just constantly rolling the you know anytime any we got faint, we would <laughs> roll the window down and then when scary people came we would roll the window up. And that's things that you know now that gets you thrown in jail. DHS comes and, and takes your kids away. So you know it, it's definitely a different uh, type you know it, it's a different era. I guess that's all I can really say. and you know in the 80s, it was acceptable to go to the mall and drop your kids off at the arcade and come back in an hour and pick them up. Or, you know, you would let your kids go to the arcade and and hang out for a couple hours. And you know, parents really don't do that. So they, arcades kind of, they lost their clientele just, um, uh, you know, with society and the way that society has changed. And then the fourth reason is simple. The fourth reason is the internet. And, you know, it's hard to say that the Internet caused the death of arcades because they were already dying uh, by the time that the, you know, in the mid-90s, uh, late-90s when Internet uh, really started, you know, being popular. But, you know, you have this this um, need that arcades met of gaming with other people, you know, going and seeing other people and, and the whole competition aspect. And if there was any chance of arcades coming back, I think the Internet has really... Uh, killed it as far as you know a mass a mass thing, uh, big public acceptance of arcades because um, now kids can play uh, games with one another and I say kids I do it all the time but uh, you can play games uh, from your own home and so there's no reason to get in your car and drive somewhere and go you know try and kick someone's butt at Mortal Kombat when you can play it online and play other people so uh, but those are the four things the, the con the improvement of consoles. Um, the, the change of in taste of games like role-playing games and then the change in culture and then finally the internet. Those are the four things really that I put on um, the reasons arcade died. If you, If you think of other reasons, email me it's Robo'Hara at Robohara.com because I'd, I'd like to include as much as I can uh, in the book. But um, So anyway, I, you know what I've already I'm over my limit already, but I, I have several funny stories about arcade games and so um, I want to get into those real quick. Um, And the first story is called The Shocker. The first story is called The Shocker. It didn't have a name until just now, but now it has a name. The name is The Shocker. So um, uh, in Oklahoma City, there is a place called Whitewater Bay, which is a big water park. It's actually owned by Six Flags now, uh, but it used to be locally owned. And when you go into, I remember, you know, going as a kid and they had a, what I would call probably a makeshift arcade. I mean, it was like an outdoor arcade that had a tent uh, erected over it. So it was there were no walls. It was just this tent, you know, with arcade games in it. And they probably had twenty or so games. But in the the far back corner of this was Battle Zone, and um, my buddy Justin and I had gone to this arcade, or we had gone to Whitewater, and and we got tired of swimming, so we decided to um, we're going to go play some arcade games. And so I go in there to play Battle Zone. And I, I grab the controls and I, I rest my my forearm. You know that Battle Zone is a, a old tank driving game and so it has these tank controls, these two joysticks, you know. And I, I grab the joysticks and I, I rest my forearms on the panel and this game shocks the crap out of me. <laughs> There's like this um like a bolt, you know, like a metal bolt holding the control panel in place and when I when I laid my arm across it, this jo- this game really shocked me. Um, and then I did the same thing that you always do when you eat, you know, some, you take a bite of some food and it's terrible. And then, you know, you immediately turn to someone and you're like, Hey, try this, you know, because you want them to experience the, uh, the substitute of whatever you just experienced. Uh, so anyway, I called Justin and I'm like, Hey, come over here, come over here, you know, try this. And so he gets it and he leans up on the machine. He's like, Holy crap. That just shot me. I'm like, I know. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, we both think this is pretty funny, and so we find this this younger kid, a kid, you know, he's two or three years younger than us, and um, so we tell him, come here, come here, come here, we want to show you something, and so uh, he comes over there, and we're like, listen, uh, you know, if you grab this thing and you touch the steel, it will shock you, but it'll give you a free credit, and free credits are like gold, you know, during this time, I mean, that's really, that's the holy grail, if you could get free credits on a game, you know, so... So the kid does it, you know, and he shocks himself. And, I mean, this isn't a, a shock like um, like static electricity, like when you shuffle uh, your feet through your house and you touch something, it shocks you. It's not like that at all. This is like putting a 9-volt battery on your tongue except for it's your, your entire arm. Um, you know, and so we get this kid to do it, and he's like, ah, and he's, he screams, you know, and we're, and we're like, oh, man, there's no credit. And, and then I say, but you know what? We might have, I think I was holding down this button, the, the start button when I did it. So if you try that, I bet you'll get a, a you know a free game. And so he does it again, and he shocks himself really bad. <laughs> and um, then I'm like, God, maybe we were holding down both buttons. I know. So it became this game to just see how many times we could um get this kid to shock himself. And and you know at the time, I think we probably thought that this game was uh, shocking people because it had something to do with the water because we were at the water park. But you know, looking back, I mean, if this was an outdoor arcade, there were probably two or three extension cords and all these things were you know, hooked into power strips, into an extension cord or something, so I, I'm, I'm guessing something wasn't grounded properly somewhere, but, but anyway, that, that that was the shocking battle zone, um, and a, a second story I wanted to tell you about is about my Karate Champ machine, now, I always liked Karate Champ, you know, I told you earlier about associating games with places, my bowling alley had Karate Champ, and, um, I, I I'm assuming people know this now, but when you played arcade games, and, you know, especially if it was a popular game, uh, you could reserve plays uh, if you want to say that by taking quarters and stacking them up on the marquee. So you know, you could put three or four quarters up there, and that meant you had the game reserved for that many times. And so I would go into the bowling alley and put my quarters up there and play Karate Champ, and people would come up and and challenge me, you know. And I, you know, it's not like I was undefeatable or anything. Sometimes I got beat, but But um, so I I played a lot of Karate Champ, and uh, my friend Justin, the same guy um, uh, in the last story, also played Karate Champ. He lived in Norman, which is like 45 minutes uh, from me, and in between us was Le Mans. uh, Well, uh, in between us was Malibu Grand Prix, the arcade I mentioned that had the go kart racing and the big arcade. And so, you know, both of us would play Karate Champ in our hometowns, you know, on our on our own turf. Uh, and then we would meet at Malibu Grand Prix because it was halfway in the middle and play each other. Uh, I mean, we played lots of games at Malibu, but that was one thing we always did. So um, anyway, uh, a few years ago, probably five years ago, I uh, saw an eBay auction for, actually it was for uh, Super Mario Brothers, and I contacted the seller and he said he actually had several games uh, for sale, so I went and met him. And uh, it was one of those deals where, you know, the more we talked, the better the deal got and the more games he was throwing in. So I don't don't remember what the deal started at, but I ended up with with um, I took home five games that day for five hundred dollars. So I paid a hundred bucks a game. Um, But, you know, so we're we're going through this collection of games and he had several games in his garage. And in the back corner, I see a karate champ. And I was like, "Oh man, you know, I used to play this with my friend all the time." And so, we, you know, I told him, "I, I want to, I want the Karate Champ. I have to have it, you know." So I pull it out, and I take, you know, I bought it and I brought it home, and uh, I open it up to clean it out, and inside, all through the bottom, are a bunch of old tokens, like old, you know, arcade tokens. And when I look at them, they're all from uh, Malibu Grand Prix, the Oklahoma City Malibu Grand Prix which basically means this is the machine that was at Malibu that my friend and I used to um, play against each other almost 15 years ago. So, uh, now we, we haven't challenged each other since, since I've owned it, but um, that challenge is coming, my friends, and I will kick his ass with the front flip back sweep, <laughs> the spinning heel kick, my my famous karate chop moves. But anyway, so... Uh, I, you know, like I said, I have 30 arcade games, but that's the only game, uh, that I've ever found actually that I could actually trace back to one that I used to play as a kid. So, uh, so I enjoy that one, and, you know, when I go out there and it, that's like I said about when it comes to collecting, it's not even necessarily the game Karate Champ, although I do enjoy it and I do have those memories associated with it. The memories to me are more important than the game itself, but actually owning the game that, that my friend and I used to play, that's pretty cool. So, uh, but anyway, that's my Karate Champ. Um, now, the third story that I wanted to tell you, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Uh, this story doesn't have a name, but, but it's about um, the Black Knight pinball. Now, um, if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever seen the Black Knight. It was a, There's a, actually a sequel to it, too. But the original Black Knight was a, a really popular uh, pinball game. But one of the, the popular features about it was, that I guess they weren't all like this. I thought they were. Everyone I saw was like this. But um, the Black Knight pinball uh, spoke. And had a speech module that it would talk to you during the game, and uh, more importantly uh in between games that would taunt you you know uh tell you that you know put in a quarter or that you know the black Knight is cannot be defeated and you know things like that so now when I was sixteen years old, I worked at Mazio's pizza, and right next to the cash register was a small arcade with um I'd say three or four arcade games and then a pinball table or two. We had, I remember, we had Tetris. We had a sit-down turbo uh, driving game. We had um, maybe a Miss Pac-Man uh, and a Galaga, and then the pinball machine was the Black Knight. Now, uh, when I was uh, working there, I got promoted to shift manager, and so I, I one of my jobs was I would close, uh, like on a Friday night, sometime I would I would lock up. And then Saturday morning, I would open, so I would come in, you know, like at eight in the morning on Saturdays, and there was another an older lady that that would also come in, and and we would open the store and, and then have it ready, uh, you know, by eleven o'clock or whatever. So, but I but it, I had a key to the store. So uh, the other cool thing about Mazios is that they serve beer, and so um, you know there would be three or four of us there on a Friday night, and we were supposed to be closing, but we would you know pour ourselves uh, a beer and then uh, play arcade games, you know? So it was like our own little um, private arcade, our, our little party place, you know? So, so, um so we would do that. And we had done this one Friday night and we had played uh, video games and stuff. And then we left and apparently I forgot to lock the door. So fortunately for me, Yukon is a pretty small town and nobody came in the store to rob us overnight. But, you know, of course I didn't know that. So, Uh, The following morning, you know, I'm supposed to come to work at 8 a.m. and meet this this other lady who is probably uh, in her mid-60s who also worked um, during the day on the weekend. And I was running late. We were both supposed to be there at 8, but I was running a little bit late. I got there maybe about 10 after 8. And so when I pulled up to the store, I see her car which is then surrounded by police cars with their lights on. And the lady uh, is sitting outside on the sidewalk and the police are talking to her. And so immediately, you know, my mind is racing like, oh, my God, what happened, you know? And so I go up there and so I ask her what happened. And so she retells me the story of how her morning went. This lady arrived at the store around 8 o'clock and came up to the front door and the front door was unlocked. So that's how we know that I had left the door unlocked on Friday night. Her first uh, instinct was that the store had been broken into and robbed. And the I like a lot of restaurants, the lights are all the way in the back. The light switches are in the back of the store. So uh, you have to walk all the way through the store in the dark to get to the back to flip the lights on. So uh, first of all, she's walking through the store in the dark. Second of all, she thinks that there may be a burglar... Still in the restaurant, so as she's walking through the store, she's walking really slowly. You know, she's she's scared to death. Right when she gets up to the cash register, which is of course next to the arcade, the Black Knight pinball says out loud, "The Black Knight will slay you." She runs out of the store so fast. She runs all the way out the store down the the sidewalk to the payphone. Calls nine one one tells the police that there's someone in the Black Knight that's about to kill her inside Mazio. So this is why the police have now shown up. So um, we eventually, you know, after hearing the story, and I'm sure the police figured out that the um, Black Knight pinball machine was actually not um, going to kill her or steal anything from the store. So, uh, and then I think I quit Mazio shortly after that. <laughs> quit slashed was asked to resign uh so anyway that's the black knight and you know what um, i was only going to tell you three stories but uh, i like that story i was only going to tell you three stories but i actually have a fourth story that i will tell you real quick um and, uh, a few years later when i was probably uh i was like 19 i was living in this small apartment and i was working at pizza inn i worked at a ton of pizza places and uh pizza inn i was a shift manager there as well um And Pizza Inn had a few arcade games, and they had a Simpsons pinball machine, which I really liked playing. Uh, And I lived in a crappy apartment where I didn't have cable or a phone or anything else. So, you know, after work, I hung out at the pizza place a lot because that was a lot better than hanging out at my house. And so, um, you know, I would play this. You know, we would close or whatever, and I'd be done by midnight. But I might stay till one or two in the morning and and uh, you know play pinball. So, uh, there was a a box up by the cash register that held suckers and the idea was you could put a quarter in there and then you know take a sucker and from you know probably three or four months that i worked there i mean like from when i started and three or four months later uh, there were no suckers in it and but and it had you know probably five or six bucks worth of quarters in it And nobody ever came to get it. And, you know, I asked someone about it one time and they said, you know, somebody brought it by and they put suckers in there and it was uh, for, you know, to help. I think it was for runaways, like to help runaway kids, like, you know, kids who have runaway and what they really need is $5 worth of quarters. That's going to help them out. So, um but nobody ever came back to pick up the money, you know. And so I started taking the quarters out of the box to play pinball because, you know, I mean, really what's one less quarter? How is that going to hurt a homeless kid? It's not. They, what are they going to do? With, you know what they do with the quarter? They would come in and play pinball. So I kept this up for a little while, This um, my little quarter thing. But, you know, uh, it didn't take long before we, you know, I ran out of quarters. There weren't that many quarters in the box. So what I decided to do was I actually started um, buying suckers at uh, this little convenience store down the street. I would buy bags of suckers and put them in the box, uh, which I was then selling for a quarter under the guise of helping homeless children and uh, then using the quarters to feed my pinball addiction. Uh, I didn't say this was a particularly good story <laughs> or particularly nice story. But uh, anyway, so um, uh, if you were ever homeless and uh, found yourself uh, needing quarters and, and no one was giving you quarters, then I, I apologize for, for my um, um pinball, my quarter ruse that I had going on. Uh, but anyway, um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to leave you guys with that story, uh, that that little upbeat ditty. So, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this. I know the show's running a little long, so um, thanks everybody for tuning in once again to You Don't Know Flack. My email address is robohara at robohara.com. So, uh, if you have any comments about the show, any requests for upcoming topics, or anything like that, feel free to drop me an email. Uh, you can always uh, catch the latest episode at tech.robohara.com. And with that, I'm out of here. So, we'll see you on April 15th.